Hello and good evening. This is Robin's Nest Podcast. I wanted to wish all of you dads out there a happy Father's Day. And because it's Father's Day, I guess I'm supposed to do a Father's Day podcast. Well, what can I say about my father? Well, let's just say that my mom was my favorite parent. I didn't really care for my dad and I don't get along with my brother because he acts just like him. My earliest memories of my father was being punished for something and I was supposed to be taking a nap on the couch and like any child I didn't want to do it and I was supposed to be looking at the couch and I had already been caught looking the other direction. And when he came over, he smacked me on the ass with his big giant hand. So explain to me how that makes a kid take a nap. And people wonder why I didn't like him. I remember my mom yelling at him, which led into their next fight. It seemed like they were always fighting over me, which is a lot of guilt for a kid to carry around. No one ever took the time to tell me it wasn't my fault. I know my brother will tell a different story, but... He was my dad and my grandmother's favorite, and I was just another girl. He was named after my dad's brother that died. I heard a few different stories on how he died. One, he was in a car accident, and then the ambulance taking him to the hospital also got in an accident. And the other story I heard was a plane crash or something. So I really don't know. I could probably ask my older brother, Bobby, because he knows more history than I do. So his name was also Russell. And my mom also seen this and always protected me. He was always thought it was funny to tease me about something until I cried and ran away. Once he achieved that, he would get this deep, hearty laugh. Like, I can still hear that. His other fun thing to do to his baby girl was to force feed me. For as long as I can remember, I have always been a very plain eater, and I have always hated vegetables. I do remember a couple of times him shoving the food in my mouth and screaming, hollering, and cussing at me to eat it. No wonder I don't have uh, any eating problems. And then it became, make her sit there until she eats it. Dinner was at 5.30 sharp. I can remember still sitting at that table until 9 p.m. 
being told to get up and go right to bed. No homework, no bath, no snack, no nothing. When I would get up in the morning, that shit was sitting on the table again. And I still wasn't eating it. I was just as hard-headed as him. I would pray to God that we were having something good for lunch at school that day. Because I was pretty hungry by then. But not hungry enough to eat vegetables or liver. When we got a little older, we would scoop the vegetables into our napkin and shove it under the hutch in the kitchen. We also shoved them in uh, the ripped vinyl seat cushions. We tried to feed them to the dog, but even he wouldn't eat them. One day, our dog Aries pulled them out from underneath the hutch. I'm sure we got our asses beat for that. So, my dad was a long-haul truck driver, which was great because he was away a lot. Mom would tell us when he was due to come home. I took it as a warning and started lining up my sleepovers so I didn't have to be home when he was there. I would only have my friends over and have sleepovers when he was on the road. My friends barely remember my dad, and not one of them have a good memory of him, and they all have fond memories of my mom. Seemed like every time he was home, they would get into some kind of argument that turned into a physical fight. As a young girl, I would just hide under the bed when they started fighting. As I got older, I would call the cops to rescue my mom. They never really did anything but break up the fight. My mom could be black and blue and they wouldn't do anything. To this day, I'm not sure why. I would usually call one of my sisters to come and get me for the night. And I always dreamed of living with one of them instead of in that dysfunctional house. However, this is a cycle. When you grow up with domestic abuse and alcohol abuse, you usually marry the same. It really is true when people say girls marry their father. They marry someone just like their father because that has been the male role model in their life. And most of my mom's children married abusers too including me. In my case, me and my ex grew up in homes like this and thought it was normal. Wasn't until I had my daughter and son that I realized it was a cycle. I asked my then husband what he would do if our daughter came home with a black eye. He said, are you ready? Well, if she deserves it, she deserves it. My first reply, well, that's the reason we will be getting divorced. I will ask no questions. I will beat his ass with a Louisville slugger and ask questions later. Who are these men that think they know who deserves a punch in a face? What in the world constitutes a punch in a face? What the hell is wrong with these men? 
One time when my son Mikey was a baby, we were in the car on the way to my sister Brenda's house. And me and his father got into an argument about Lord only knows what. And I said I was going to leave him and take the baby. He told me he would kill me first and that he knew people in the mob and would have me knocked off. As we pulled up in my sister's driveway, I was going to do everything I could to get the baby first. We were both racing to get the baby out of his car seat in the back seat. Just as I unlocked his car seat, I got punched right in the nose. Immediately, there was blood everywhere. I didn't care. I just wanted to get the baby first. I took him and started running up my sister's steps. At this point, me and the baby are covered in blood. My sister started screaming and panicking. She thought we were in a car accident or something. I think this happened like a week before Christmas. So Mikey was one. And I had already had train tickets to go see my parents in Massachusetts where they were living at the time. They moved there when my dad started getting really sick because there was a lot more help for the disabled and low income. We were still living with my in-laws at that time. And I'm quite sure his parents seen my face the next day and of course said nothing to me or their abusive son. His mom got all the blood out of the baby's jacket. No questions asked. They sure were nice to me for the next week and begged me not to go to Massachusetts or at least not take the baby with me. And if I didn't take the baby, it assured them that I was going to return. And over my dead body was I going to Massachusetts without my baby. So they never apologize for the abuse. They just sweep it under the carpet. And of course, Christmas Eve was another drunk fest. So after Christmas dinner, I was on my way to the train station with my baby. I had a 25-pound baby, a full car seat, luggage, a purse, a diaper bag, it was just crazy, all the stuff I had to carry to get on to the train. And I did not like the train. As you went through tunnels or whatever, it would get completely dark and you couldn't even see your nose. So I took my one-year-old and went to the bar cart. We spent the rest of our trip in the bar cart. I had no return ticket and I was in no rush to return. So, of course, my mom noticed my face right away, even though I had 20 pounds of makeup on it. She was pissed. But really, isn't this what she taught me? My husband called me every night. I think after a few days, I finally started talking to him. All of a sudden, he was sorry. 
And his mom also called and wanted to talk to my mom about when I was coming home, which this is never a good idea, but she did it again. So my mom said, after what your son did, you will be lucky if she even comes back to New Jersey. So I think I stayed in Massachusetts for two weeks or so, and then I went home. I was totally in denial. I I believed his lies. So the moral of the story is abuse is abuse, and it never gets better, and it never goes away. That shit is seen, and then it is repeated. It is a breakable cycle, but you have to break the cycle, and it's really hard. Alcoholism is hereditary, and that shit is passed down generation to generation. You have to know your limits, and you have to get help if you need it. And of course, if you're an alcoholic, you won't think you need it. But listen to others who tell you that you need help. So back to my dad, let me say a few nice things. My mom was head over heels in love with him. Like he had some kind of spell on her or something. My dad had this neat way of making you say no instead of him say no. So my best friend was leaving our elementary school and she was going to go to Catholic school. So I asked my parents if I could go to Catholic school. I wasn't even Catholic, but wanted to go where my best friend Laura was going. Not sure if my dad was Catholic or not, or if he just knew about the religion from his first wife, Rose, who was Catholic. So he sat me down at the kitchen table and said, I hear you want to go to Catholic school. Me, afraid to death of him. And to talk to him, I immediately started stuttering, knowing that that's going to set him off. But surprisingly, he kept with the conversation. Me not knowing anything about the Catholic religion, he said, Do you know you have to confess your sins? Me, not knowing what that even means, had a surprised look on my face and said, what? What is that? He told me you had to go into a a confession box booth with the priest where you really can't see him and you have to tell him all your sins and ask for forgiveness. He said that the nuns were teachers and they they were allowed to crack you in your knuckles with a ruler. <laughs> he said that you had to wear uniforms and special shoes and that you had to sit in church for at least an hour a day. So he sat there and told me all of these things and then said, well, do you still want to go to Catholic school? And I said, uh, no, thank you. And I went along with my day. We really couldn't afford to send me to Catholic school, but he didn't want to tell me no, which was nice 
that he would explain the whole thing to you and let you make your own decision. So as a young girl, I started to like clothes and fashion. And as a truck driver, he was in New York and they are the fashion capital of the world. So I seen these two-tone jeans that I wanted and I searched high and low for them and couldn't find them. He brought me a pair home from New York and I was so excited. And sometimes he would take us to Pep Boys on our birthday and let us pick out a new bike. And a real treat was him taking one of us to the bar on a Sunday. We would go with him in his beautiful truck that he had specially made. And that was his baby. So we would go with him and we were allowed to get soda and a snack. We thought we were hot shit. But now that I think about it, who the hell lets a drunk drive their kids? But back in that day, it that's what you did. <laughs> so one night, I guess I was about 10 or 11. My dad came in my room about 3 a.m. in the morning and turned on the light and said, wake up. I was petrified. He never woke us up. He said, now, don't be scared, but I got jumped tonight. So I opened my eyes and looked at him, and he was all beat up and bloody. But this man always, always walked around with a pocket full of cash. He made damn good money back then. I remember my mom and dad arguing over the fact that his paycheck was $999. And my mom was bitching that they couldn't give you a dollar. They couldn't even give you a dollar, a damn dollar. So he made excellent money. He gave my mom $100 a week. And he paid all the bills by shutoff notices only. But he always had a wad of cash in his pocket. So I'm guessing someone seen the wad of cash when he was paying his bar tab. And they followed him out of the bar and jumped him as he was walking to his car. And they stole all his cash. And he had just cashed his paycheck that day, too. So they made out really good. And it took weeks for him to heal. He had a black eye, a broken nose. He had cuts on his face and his hands. And his reply was, you should see what they look like. <laughs> well, I can't imagine they look worse than you. I think there was two guys that jumped him. But anyway, so as you can tell, I wasn't very fond of my father. And the only grandparents I had as a child were my dad's parents. My mom's parents had passed away way before I was even thought of. 
I called my dad's parents, Grandmom and Pop-Pop. Pop-Pop was my favorite by a mile. He was such a kind, loving man. He smoked a pipe. And to this day, when I smell a pipe, it reminds me of him. My grandparents would come over every Sunday with Grandmom's nasty dry pot roast in that damn Dutch oven, and they would cross the street carrying it. God, did I hate it. So I used to sit on my grandpa's lap. I was only a kid, and we would say or do things to make Grandmom go crazy, which really didn't have to make much of an effort. But this one time he taught me this song and it was the words to the song is if your son, John can swim faster than my son, John, I will give you $500, but you put a K in front of each word or after each word. So it was Ithaca, Eureka, Sonica, Jonica, Kudaka, Swimica. And it would drive my grandmother nuts and me and him would be in hysterics. And, oh my God, it would just piss her off so much. And when the two of us were doing it, like, I I don't know, she got double mad. So when... Our grandparents would leave on Sunday. Grandpa would give us 50 cents. And he always always called me Robbie. And he called my brother Rusty. And he would tell us, you know, got to save your money. And he would come back the next Sunday. And he would ask us, you know, did you spend your money or did you save it? Russell usually spent his on candy. And I had saved mine. And he would tell me, you know, that that I was a good girl and, that, you know, don't spend all your money. You have to save money because you never know when you're going to need it. He was just such a fabulous, kind-hearted man. Um, I was very close to him and my grandmother was just a bitch. And I never understood, and I was just little, and, you know, I, I knew this, and I never understood why he was with her. He was such a sweetheart. So I think I was like 11 or 12 when he passed away. He passed away from emphysema, uh, and he was in the hospital, and we did go up so that we could say goodbye. And I was completely devastated, hysterically crying. And we went to my sister's house so that my parents could be with my grandmother and make all the final arrangements and everything. And my brother was so sweet to tell me that we were going to a funeral and that a pop-up was going to be in the coffin dead and continued to terrorize me about what dead people look like and how they get there and everything else. So 
I said that I didn't want to go to the funeral. Uh, my parents made me go because they said that, you know, there's not a second chance. You have to say goodbye. You have to pay your respects. It's the last time. And my mom said, you know, if you don't want to be in the room where Pop-Pop is, that's fine. There's other rooms you can sit in. So I did go to the funeral and it was completely devastating. And I think I spent most of my time in the other room. So after that, my grandmother didn't drive. So she didn't come over every Sunday anymore. And before this, uh, when my grandfather was still alive, they had a house in Maine. Uh, it was a cute little house. I would have to ask my brother Bobby more about it because by the time I got to the age to go up there and remember going up there, it was a fully built house. So I think it started off smaller and they kept adding to it. But we would go up there usually for like the month of August. And we had a blast. They had this, all this land and the neighbor across the street had horses. She would let us feed them and ride them. And uh, Pop would cut the grass on his riding mower, and he would give us a ride and let us drive. And we just had a blast. So I think a grocery store was like an hour away. So when we went grocery shopping, like we loaded up. And I don't know why, but Grandma bought like four or five pounds of bananas and insisted that me and Russell were going to eat them before they went bad. To this day, I will not touch a banana. I love the way they smell. I love the way they taste, but I cannot peel a banana and eat it. I just can't. <laughs> so she was, I don't know, she was a mess. I think after my grandfather died, she started taking Xanax or something and she became nicer. And by nicer, I mean, you could tolerate her. So we didn't see her as often. Um, she hated my mom. My mom hated her. Uh, she would always tell my mom if she didn't do what she wanted to do, she was going to cut her out of the will. And my mom said, I don't give a shit. I don't want to be in your will. And the two of them fought. And my mom's favorite line was something about the armored car can't follow you to the cemetery. And something about my dad driving over the bridge. I, I don't know. They... They were hysterical, but I can clearly see why my mom didn't get along with her. She didn't get along with females. I don't know what it was, but my pop-pop was the best. And my older brother, Bobby, looks exactly like him. When I met Bobby, we met uh, him and Kathy in a bar and it was pretty crowded. So we were texting back and forth, you know, to see where everyone was so that we could meet up. And I seen Bobby at the bar and I was like, oh my God, 
there is Pop-Pop. I knew it had to be him. And it's amazing because he's just like him. He is uh, kind, sweet, gentle, just uh, affectionate, just a very loving man, just like our grandfather was. So I guess I'm going to let that go uh, from here and finish up this podcast. Um, I wanted to mention that when I was 16, my father quit drinking and that's when I started to like him. And by like him, I mean tolerate him. Um, I don't think I ever let all the wounds go, the abuse go. Um, I was very upset at the way he treated my mother. Um, So I always held that grudge. I guess that's what we'll call it. We'll call it a grudge. But once he quit drinking, we did get on a more personal level and he wasn't as scary anymore. Um, So I guess from the time I was 16 and I was 24 when he passed, they were the best years we had together. Um... And I would go to Massachusetts like once a month, uh, spend the weekend so that I could spend time with him. And they're the best memories I have of him. Um, You know, we would talk about Pop-Pop and we would talk about the trips to Maine. And he was much kinder when he wasn't drinking So I just wanted to reiterate that abuse is abuse, whether it's mental or physical or emotional, and nobody can make you let go of that or get over it. You have to heal the way you heal. Um... And if you are in an abusive relationship, you need to get out because it's never going to get better. They're not sorry. It's never going to end. You need to break the cycle or it's going to repeat. And again, with alcoholism, it's hereditary. If it's in your family, you need to be cautious. You need to pay attention. Because alcohol is a drug and it changes who you are. Like in my father's circumstances, from the time I was born to 16, I couldn't stand him. I didn't want to be around him. He was mean. He was mentally abusive. He was physically abusive. He was emotionally abusive. And once he quit drinking, by that point, my scars were pretty deep. But... That wasn't who he was anymore. He was kinder and gentler and being sober, even when he was drinking the little bit of time he was sober, he was a nice guy. He would give you the shirt off his back. 
he helped my mom raise her first six kids and he did for them like they were his own kids but god forbid he got drunk i mean it there was going to be a fist fight somewhere so i'm going to end the podcast there and just want to wish everybody a happy father's day and you can follow me on social media i'm on instagram and facebook it's robin's nest podcast and until next time i thank you for listening have a good night